my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Well, it's that time of year. Not that it's tax day. We're going to talk about something else. But it's a time for you to see where you can scare up some money in your life. And I got a simple way for you to do so. I'm going to talk about straight ahead. And also, I want to talk about you getting back to basics because of inflation eating at our wallet each and every month. I want to talk about something that, well, for a lot of people is even less exciting than somebody encouraging you to go on a diet. That is ways you can budget to get your finances under control. But right now I want to talk about something that can help you get up some cash. So there's a tendency of us to cycle through electronics quicker than they have gotten tired of us. And so we will decide we have to have, and I'm guilty of this, the latest, greatest gadget. Big problem for me. And so what do you do about that? Well, right now, it's a great idea for you to stretch your ownership cycles is a way for you to reduce expenses. But let's dial back because you may have, if you're a typical American and if you're a household, you probably have several recent electronics devices, cell phones, that are just sitting in drawers somewhere. It's good to keep one family backup. So if somebody has their phone stolen or it breaks or you lose it, You've got one you can immediately press into service. But other than that, what you got, you sell. Sell them. Because they are a depreciating asset. The longer you wait to sell, the less they're worth. I've got a simple guide at Clark.com. The best places to sell your old cell phones. To scare up as much cash as possible. Because... It's really inconsistent who's going to offer you the best deal. But I want you to know all the different places you can try to sell. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that the big movement, next movement in cell phones is going to be subscription plans. And you want a prescription for messing up your wallet? Get hooked into one of these subscription plans And yeah, you'll have new gadgets all the time, but it's actually something probably worse than car leasing to do essentially cell phone leasing. Be aware, be wary, and think about it. Is there really enough difference with the new one versus the most recent one? Simple rule, every other generation of a cell phone, there's probably enough change that maybe you bite on the new one. But every new generation, no way. And now it's time for Krista with some questions. This is from Linden, South Carolina. With e-bikes becoming a big trend, what are the best deals, best rated, et cetera, or any made in the USA? If there are any electric bikes that are made and whole in the United States, I'm not aware. Even if they're assembled in the United States, a lot of times it's mostly foreign components 
i.e. from Asia, as to which ones are best rated, this is hard. There is no central clearinghouse that I've found you can trust. I have an electric bike that I shared recently. I paid $398 for, and I've been really happy with it. And it was about the cheapest you could buy one. I bought it new from Walmart. Don't know if they're selling any that cheap now. Linda, I am so price-oriented that, I, as I've said over the years, I will accept lower quality for a lower price. So you almost have to depend on the local retailers who sell them to get their guidance on what are the most reliable ones, what are the most comfortable ones to ride on, uh, which ones have the most range of distance, which ones the brakes seem to work best. I mean, you really need, if you want to get one that you're really comfortable with the quality and the performance, you need to trust that you're talking to a local expert who really honestly is sharing with you what you need to know in their best opinion is the best one to get. This is from Jody in North Carolina. I've noticed over the last few weeks that gas at Costco and Sam's is around $3.89 a gallon in Durham, North Carolina, as opposed to $3.59 in Raleigh, which adjoins Durham. This has been the case for several weeks now. Can you advise such a price difference when cities adjoin each other? So, Jody, I only know how Costco prices its gas. I don't know how Sam's does. Costco actually sends someone out to look at what the prices are at stations within a certain trading zone. It may be a five-mile diameter. I don't know the exact number of miles. Don't know how Sam's does it, but it means that in the Raleigh area where you're seeing gas 30 cents a gallon cheaper, that there are some competitive, probably independent gasoline retailers that are offering lower prices than gasoline retailers are in Durham. And that would account for that 30 cent a gallon difference. I mean, it's possible in some jurisdictions of the country, there will be local taxes in addition to state taxes on a gallon of gas that could account for difference. But I'm not aware of anything like that in the state of North Carolina. And this is from John in Georgia. Help, I've fallen into customer no service and I can't get up. I would like some advice in dealing with a medical alert company. My in-laws are in one year of a three-year contract with this company, but recently both have had to move into a memory care facility and we want to cancel their service. They don't need the 24-hour monitoring. We have had a terrible time trying to discuss this situation with anyone at the company without getting passed around and put on hold. And frankly, when we do explain our situation to the rep of the customer service department, they are very rude and put us into customer hold purgatory. I see hundreds of complaints about this company on the BBB website from people with similar issues. How do they have an A-plus rating? Do you have any advice on how to deal with this company? So, John, you've done everything right. And the BBB, your question is so valuable. You said, how could a company that people complain about like mad have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau? Well, the number of people who find their way to the BBB to complain about a company is a minuscule fraction of people who might be unhappy with the company. And a lot of times a company will try to protect its rating with the BBB by solving a complaint for somebody who complains there. 
go ahead and file a BBB complaint at BBB.org and see if that doesn't get some help for you. Also, if you are active on social media, post complaints about them on social media. They may be worried about reputational harm that way, and they may respond. And uh, I would like you also to let AARP know. AARP has two sides of their business. They have an uh, advocacy side of the business, which is the nonprofit and is not a business. Then they have the for-profit side of AARP. You may be able to get some suggestions or helpful advice from the AARP advocacy side on how you can deal with this particular medical alert service. As for signing a long-term contract with a medical alert company, the answer is you never do this. This is a never, 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 not ever rule. I would also say with the social media, you can you can contact the company and also find the CEO's name, which I just found. It's very easy to find. And um, use his uh, social media accounts to send him messages too. Uh, this is from Julian Oregon. Which conservative retirement strategy do you prefer? 50-50 in stocks and bonds or the bucket approach? <sighs> okay, so... Actually, they're a little like comparing apples and uh, fruit. No, apples and and vegetables. Oh, vegetables, okay. What were you going to say, apples and (laughs) what? Blueberries, I don't know. (laughs) No, but I was trying to get to two different kinds of things. Fruits and vegetables. They're not... um, So, that might even be... I always mess up those analogies, don't I? So, the bucket approach is where you have money that is short-term money, mid-term money, long-term money. That that's the idea is that if a lot of people are worried about the direction of the stock market right now. So if you have to live on money that you have available to you, then you don't want all your money in the stock market because you need money for the shorter term because stock markets in the short term can have big declines or big rises. But over time, Uh, those big declines recover but you don't want to have to sell into the teeth of a big decline so the bucket approach of having money that is there for you to use like in savings accounts cds money market funds an ultra short bond fund which is one that holds very very short term debt that is very little risk of the value of the fund going up and down a lot Um, having money short term is a key strategy. Looking at having intermediate term stuff for things that are more like in a window of up to five years, that's the idea of the bucket. You have your long term, your midterm, short term, common financial advice. On the other hand, the idea of 60, it's most often 60, 40, 60% of your money in stocks, 40% in bonds, People in the investment world are arguing about 60-40 like you cannot believe right now because there's a lot, a lot of worry about the bond market, particularly longer-term bonds at a time of bond values declining because interest rates are rising. Bonds are not the safety zone that they would have historically been. So we're talking about different things here one is the mix of your investments and the other is your money overall 
that you might need to live on a portion right now. I still hold my bond funds. And the reason I still hold them is that in the short term, I have no intention of selling my long-term bonds, which are in bond funds, or in intermediate and long-term, more intermediate than long-term, is that even though I'm taking it on the chin right now with a decline in the value of the funds, the effect that happens over time of higher interest rates is I will get a higher income return from those over time. I don't look at, for me, being in bonds as a short-term thing, except possibly their cousin, I call it almost a cousin, the ultra-short bond fund. So if you have to have the money that's in a bond fund or a stock fund in the short term, that's too much risk. And that goes back to the bucket. It's a great idea, especially for people in retirement or nearing retirement, to have money available to you that you can draw on at a time that you could have declining markets. That's part of basic financial portfolios and limiting financial risk of having to sell stuff during a downdraft in markets, both bonds and stocks. And uh, obviously, we're not an investment show. But it is important as so many people are not in a position with the money they have to hire a paid professional to manage that I give basic general investment information and general guidance, and you could call it advice, but I am not a professional appointed by the industry. I have no industry designation. And so the advice you hear from me about investing is general in its tone and purpose. Coming up next, there's something we've covered extensively on Clark.com, but not on the podcast. It's about dealing with inflation by getting control of the money you have coming in, i.e., that dirty word, budget. There are people who obsess with budgeting. And I'll tell you the truth, the people who obsess with budgeting are people that are looking generally for positive affirmation. They're actually really good at saving money, and they want to make sure, I'm really okay? I really am okay. Am I really okay? I mean, it's like this constant thing that people will do. And who are those peoples? I'm one of those. I am a person who is really into making sure that Our finances are in good shape. They're on track. I spend too much time on that. And I actually carry no debt. My finances are okay. I don't need to worry about it so much. But a lot of people right now are wheezing some. You're feeling the stress of the bills, interest rates rising, cost of living in so many categories rising right now, and you feel out of control. So I know it's kind of corny, but we have the Clark Guide, and each letter stands for a different part of this. I call it the five steps to better budgeting, and it's not necessarily about you obsessing with a budget. It's about you assessing where you are with what money you've got coming in, 
what expenses you have going out, and then thinking through that spending. When you get it down on paper and you see what you're spending money on, what is absolutely necessary, what is marginally necessary, and what are the optional things that your money is going to. That takes you to the next step, and that is, I want you really to think about what are your goals? What is it you're hoping to accomplish? Not just being able to breathe, keep your head above water this second. What is it you're trying to do in your life? Where are you trying to go? And then I do want you at least for a few weeks to do something really hard. I want you to record every single penny you spend out and about you know there's an old thing some people in behavior mod with people who have trouble eating too much or eating the right things and i don't know if you've ever heard of this they have you look in a mirror while you eat apparently we're all pretty unattractive as we're chewing <laughs> so we're eating and it really makes you focus. This is what I'm trying to do the equivalent of by having you record every penny you spend to really get it solid in your head where your money's going and what are the things that are unattractive to face that you're spending money on. And then that takes you to the last step as you really get your arms around the the discretionary spending, let's call it what an economist would call it, the money you don't have to spend, but you are spending, and many times you're not even thinking about spending it. Then you move to the next thing, and that is attacking whatever debt you have, particularly at a time of rising rates, really a good thing to do, and then the process of building savings. And so we've got these steps for you. So this is not where I'm trying to have you devote a thousand hours to getting your money under control no i'm trying to get you to really organize yourself your thoughts and record your actions so that you know what money you got coming in and more important what money you got going out because you know it's never what we make that matters is what we don't spend that counts over time what we don't spend So just go to Clark.com, look at the free budget worksheet. There are many different ways to get here, to get to where you have more control over your money. This is just a simple way that we've got for you at Clark.com. And with that said, Krista, let's talk about people's questions. Okay, this is from Sam in Arizona. I'm a physician about to finish up my subspecialty training. I've already maxed out the $6,000 of my 2022 Roth IRA as well as my wife's. I'm expecting a significant pay raise once graduating fellowship and starting my new job in August. This will put my wife and I over the Roth income limit. Sam, this is a good problem you got here. (laughs) Making too much money. Yes. Will this result in a tax penalty? Okay. So Sam, this has happened before and that's why with IRAs, you're allowed to contribute before you do your return the following year to make sure that you're eligible to do a Roth or traditional in that year. So you could have waited all the way till the time you'd file your tax return in 23 to fund a Roth for 22. But don't worry, this isn't 
a terrible problem. You can reclassify the money into a non-deductible IRA. And then if you've earned money since you put the money in, then that money can be reported as income. But you will still have the money in a non-deductible IRA, something almost no one's ever heard of, because you have a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, and a non-deductible. And then there's a procedure that's called the backdoor Roth, where people that are income ineligible like you are now going to be this year and going forward likely as a physician. You were able to contribute each year to a non-deductible and then move the money from it into a Roth IRA. It's something that Congress over and over again says they're going to close that loophole, but they never have done it. It's just a little more work for you. And you got to do, there's some other things you have to do to make sure you're, you can move that money from the non-deductible to a Roth. And it involves if you have any money existing in a traditional IRA right now. I'm not going to get into all that complication, but if you just go Google or whatever search engine you use, backdoor Roth, it'll explain it to you. But the first thing you got to do is move that money once you're sure you're going to exceed the income limits, move it to a non-deductible IRA from the Roth with your current provider. And this is from Daniel in Florida. Clark, my wife has been on me to get a new used car and trade ours in, but I have stayed away because of your advice with prices. My question is, with gas prices at record highs, have SUVs gone down in price or will they go down at, so it would be a good time to buy one or should I just wait it out? Your wife's always right, but not this time. <laughs> um, ride this out. The vehicle shortage absolutely is going to ease. It's only a matter of time guessing when that time is is really hard, but the shortage of vehicles will ease for two factors. One, Federal Reserve is going to pull a lot of the excess funds they put in the economy. They're going to pull that back. It's going to slow the economy. Some is going to slow the overheated vehicle market. And the supply chain shortages and chip shortages will gradually ease as they have for some automakers, some already, they will ease through 22, and certainly it would be a shocker if we weren't back to a more normal equilibrium in the new and used vehicle markets by the time we turn to 23. Although there's been a lot of shocks in the last few years, I think we're going to be okay. And finally, I know you're going to love this one. This is from Josh in Alaska. Quick story, I had kidney stones and the doctor wanted an x-ray and ultrasound. I showed up to get the images at, and the imaging center only had the x-ray in their file. I worked with patient advocacy to help correct the problem only to find out that the imaging center did not have a system in place to enter doctor's referrals into their system in a timely manner. The doctor and imaging center were part of the same hospital system. I felt this was ridiculous and I sent the hospital a bill for wasting my time <laughs> and having to take time off of work twice. I did this just to prove a point, not expecting to get anything out of the deal. However, I was wrong. The hospital sent me a check for $200. What? Yes. What? Okay. I don't know how you made that happen, Josh. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Okay, that is a great story and a great way to end this podcast. Thank you, Josh, 
for sharing that you stood up for yourself and the inefficiency of that hospital not valuing your time, you made them value it. And speaking of time, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you heard something today that is useful that you can put to work in your life. As always, we got more great info for you at Clark.com and great ways for you to save money each and every day at ClarkDeals.com. If you want to learn more about what we're posting day by day, subscribe to our free newsletters where we can help you make money, save money, or hold on to the money you have.